We are in a series about the mothers of the Messiah, and we're trying to answer the question that in the genealogy of Jesus, there are four women that are mentioned, and why are these four women among 40-plus couples or generations, why are these four women mentioned, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba? Why are these four mentioned? Today we come to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. I'm going to read to you from verse 1. I don't feel worthy to speak the words I'm about to read. Honestly, this is one of the greatest stories I think you can possibly have in all of Scripture. I love this passage. I'm going to try to preach the entire book, not long, maybe over the next four hours, if you could just make yourself comfortable. (laughs) Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Paphrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. I'm going to pray there. Father, I ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Let's talk about the mothers of the Messiah. Trying to figure out why Ruth is written into the genealogy of Jesus Christ, 40-something numbers of people in the day. You would not mention women in a genealogy. Women are mentioned here, which is quite subversive in and of itself. And we find this woman, Ruth, and the question is, why is she in this Why is she in this genealogy? The Florida Gators are today welcoming a new Florida head ball coach, Billy Napier, as the head coach, and he was chosen because of his resume. If you want to get a good job, you need a good resume. Your resume tends to be the compilation of your accomplishments. If you've got a resume, it's because you have gone to school, you went to grad school, you went to med school, you went to trade school, you had a job, you've been faithful, you have letters of recommendation for what it is that you have done. And yet that's a somewhat of a modern phenomenon because back in the day, the way that you establish your credibility or your legitimacy was not necessarily just your accomplishments, but it would have been the accomplishments of your family, of your collective whole. Indeed, genealogies, if you've ever read through the Bible and you get to the book of Matthew and you read the genealogy of Jesus, it says this person begot this person begot this person, it seems like an unnecessary point of literature for you and me, but... In times past, people memorized their lineage and they memorized their line because your credibility and your validation was actually your resume, which would have been your people, your tribe, the people that you came from. Which begs the question, when the Messiah of the world is writing his genealogy and giving his credentials on why he is the Messiah, why in the world is he incorporating and splicing into that genealogy Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. Why mention that? Why go there? Especially when you read the book of Matthew, which is where we're taking this genealogy from. It's written to the Jews who were quite, in today's terminology, we'd say classist, racist, sexist, a lot of ists, a lot of isms that we would say. It was a group of people that valued being purebreds and we're about to find out that the genealogy of the Messiah is littered with half-breeds. What is God doing? What was God doing in Ruth? As we continue to read this story, it says that there, this woman, uh, Naomi, is, is going to arise with her two daughters-in-law and return to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Now, to give you some context of what's going on in the story, this is in the days of the judges, is the first verse that we read. If you just turn back one page, the last verse of the previous book, Judges, says, in those days there was no king. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. The time of the judges was characterized by a group of people that were believers, but they weren't really strong believers. And whether you are in person or online right now, if it's a Sunday morning right now and you're watching this, or maybe you're watching this later on, obviously there's some level of faith or, I don't know, curiosity that you might have. But in those days, much like maybe in a lot of the times right now, people would say what was right is whatever's right in your own eyes. If it feels good, do it. If it seems right to you, that's what you should do. But God had given his people 
directions, which was that God had given the people of God the land. The land of Israel was the promised land. He had given them this land. He had parceled it out among the tribes, 12 tribes of Israel. He had parceled this out, and clans and families were given pieces of land. God told them that when you are faithful, it's going to go well with you. When you're not faithful, it's not going to go well with you. And he told them there would even be things like famines that would come. And indeed, that is what happened. In their unfaithfulness, this was one of those times. God's people would know, though, what you are to do when times get rough is to trust the God who said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And when you look around and you see the evidence that seems like God is gone, when you don't have the visible presence, you've got the promises of God and all the promises of God are yes and amen. amen. Now, when you read the story of Elimelech, it's interesting. The guy Elimelech, his name means God is my king. The irony, of course, is the man who is God is my king is going to pull off a move that no faithful Israelite would have pulled off, which would have been to leave the land that God told you to possess, and instead of possessing it, to leave the land, and he goes, not just any place, he goes to one of the places that, that was indicative of problems and trouble. Many times God's people would flee to Egypt. In this case, they're fleeing to Moab, a place of non-believers, a place of pagan deities, a place of uncleanness. So the man who whose name means God is my king, is living as if God is not my king. Furthermore, he's married to a woman. Her name is Naomi, which means pleasant. We're going to find out that's an ironic name for the life that she's about to live. But they've got two sons, Malon and Kilion. Now, back in the day, you would name your children not just a name that sounded good. You didn't just find something, syllables that sounded good. You would name a child something that was indicating what you believed for this child's life or what was going on in that kid's life. Malon and Kilion, the name Malon means sickly or infirmity. Can you imagine someone comes up, they meet your child. What a beautiful child. What's your child's name? Oh, his name is Gross. <laughs> Kilion means strife or angst. Can you imagine coming up and saying, oh, what a beautiful child. You're like, ah, that's his name, strife. Kilion. Now, we don't know what's going on, but the picture we're being painted in the opening verses of Ruth is a group of believers that are either unbelieving believers or very unfaithful believers to a God who said, stay in the land, and they have not. They have left. God promised that when you follow me, if there will be times when it is difficult, but stick with me because I will always stick with you. And what we find now is that Naomi, who had a husband and two sons in a culture where people's lives were defined by their families, especially women whose lives were defined by their husband and their children, and you may not not like that. I get that, but I need you to right now for a few moments to do the exegetical work of your heart to be able to read this book of Ruth in the way that it was written thousands of years ago because it's easy for us as, as women, let's say, or men to look back and, and look down on a woman condescendingly who granted her, saw her value in her family or in her husband or in her children. Maybe some of you are so above that, but there's other things that a lot of us do to grant ourselves legitimacy to. There's things that other cultures or other times, they might look at some of you that, that you wouldn't dare wear shoes that don't have a certain logo on them or else you wouldn't be credible or you wouldn't be legitimate. And other cultures would look at you and say, wait, you're paying hundreds of dollars? To, you're going to pay someone else to advertise their brand for free on your shoes? And you say, yep, sure am. All I'm trying to say is there's, there's a lot of things that we do right now where other cultures or times or ages, there's some of you that, that you think you're a nobody if you're not dressing a certain way or if you don't weigh a certain amount of weight, if you don't have a certain kind of a life. All I want to say to you is this, all of us have insane ways of valuing our own lives. So don't judge Naomi quite too quickly when you're about to find out this is becoming a bitter old woman because of the life that she's leading. Please don't judge her just quite yet. So it says that when they heard that the Lord had visited the people and given them food, anyone reading this would have said, yep, just like God said, just like God promised, just like it always works. In fact, some of you know what it's like whenever you've watched somebody bail on God, and it never ends well. Verse 7, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to the two daughters-in-law, go, return each one of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt 
with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them. They lifted up their voices and they wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. And if I should say, I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it's exceedingly, here's the key word, bitter. To me, for your sake, for the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices, they wept again, and Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Now let's, let, and, and it says, and Ruth said, but Ruth said, I'm going to stop there because I just want to make sure I paint the picture right here. They're in a foreign land, Moab. Naomi's talking about going back to Israel because she's a foreigner. She's a stranger in this land. There's nothing for her. She's a widow. Being a widow throughout all of culture if you, and all, the, all of societies and all of time has been difficult. But in ancient societies, it was next to impossible because you would be violated. You would be cheated. You had no options. You could not work. You would be destitute. She's now going to go back at least in the, among the people of God. There are fields and God made, God, Yahweh God made provisions for widows in his law. He said Things like the corners of people's property belong to the poor and the widow and the foreigner and the stranger. And, and he, he made provisions that if you were broke, if you were poor, in God's kingdom, there's always been provisions for those that were in need. In Moab, not so much. She's got nothing left. She's got a couple of daughters. Now they've got options because they can go back and they could marry someone, which is why she says, go get a husband, do this. But don't come back with me because if you come back with me, I've got nothing to offer you. In fact, if you come back, you're coming back to an Israel that I already know what it's like. Us Jewish people, we don't like non-Jews. Us Jewish people, we don't like the Gentiles. The, the places where I've been, I've watched what happens to strangers and you ladies would be strangers. You'd be better off here. You're going to go back as a bad karma widow, pagan, uh, idolatry, idolatrous person that when they look at you, they're going to judge you. It will be much worse for you there. In fact, we're going to, when you read chapter 2, we're going to find out she, uh, there, there, a guy named Boaz is going to come on the scene, is even going to have to tell his men, don't let, he charges them, and nobody's allowed to touch Ruth when she goes in my fields, because it was well known, it was well known when a widow was in a place, widows would be violated. She said, don't do that to yourself. Stay here. At least you know the language. At least you know the culture. At least you look like everybody else. At least you're the same race as everyone else. At least you worship the same gods. She says, go back to your gods and do your thing. But Ruth said, I, 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 just, I, I just want to make sure I'm painting the picture for you here because life is not turning out for Naomi the way that she expected and, and there's some of you that are listening to me now when you look in the mirror, it, it's not turned out like, like you were hoping it was going to turn out. There, there's some of you that are listening to me now, or maybe you're watching this months from right now when I'm saying these words. And there's some of you that you, when you were 19 years old and you were dreaming of what the, your dream marriage was going to be or your dream life was going to be or your dream job was going to be and everything has not turned out. Or maybe you got the dream man, the dream woman, the dream job, and the dream everything is still not living up to the hype of what it said it would do. And there's a bitterness in Naomi's soul, and there's a bitterness to some of our lives that when we look at, at the world, when we look at, and, and here's the reality about us, life is traumatizing, if we're very honest, between the famines on the outside and the failures on the inside. Life is traumatizing, and Naomi is probably the product and experiencing the bitterness of both the things that were beyond her control, famines and husbands that die and, and, and sons that die, the, the stuff on the outside that she has no control over, as well as the things that she did have control over, like leaving Israel, like, like being able to, to be faithful to Yahweh God. But here she is telling an idolatrous pagan daughter-in-law, just go back to your gods. And she's bitter. And into the bitterness of Naomi, and this is my opinion on why Ruth is included in this genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. 
It says, but Ruth said, do not urge me. One of the most amazing verses in scripture, don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Now they already all said this. Orpah and Ruth already said, your people will be my people up until now. But now Ruth drops the line, the theologians say, is the conversion confession of this woman who is about to become a woman of God. And she says, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will be die, and there I will be buried. And then she says, may the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. That's Yahweh. That's the covenant name, revealed name of God. May Yahweh do so to me, and more also, if anything but death separates you and me. It's an amazing, shining, bright Confession. It's like this bright, small, laser-like burst of the sun through dark clouds on the worst of days where in the midst of a bitter existence called Naomi, who's going to say, don't call me Naomi, call me Merah, which means bitter. And into that scene is going to come this, this believing unbeliever, this worshiping pagan, this, this God-centered former idolater, this bad karma widow that's going to be the best luck that Naomi ever had and the best luck you and me ever had to. <laughs> it's always funny to me when I go to weddings. Who's ever been to a wedding and you heard this verse quoted? Where you go, I will go. Your people, you ever? It's so ironic to me that when you go to weddings, they quote this. It's like a man's quoting it to a woman or a woman's quoting it to a man. It was never about a man and a woman. It was always about, it's always wild to me that you've got couples quoting like words that were written for in-laws. <laughs> when I look at you, I think of your mother, <laughs> you know? <laughs> How romantic, you know? <laughs> what an interesting thought right there. When I look at you, I just think of your dad. <laughs> I mean, that's what it was. The, the other than 1 Corinthians 13, the most quoted wedding verse in the universe was never, it was not romantic. It was agape. It's for Ruth so loved, Naomi, that she laid down her life. What's wild to me in the question of why does God write Ruth into the story in a word, the reason in my opinion that Ruth is written into the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the King, the Lord, the Savior of everything is because the story of Ruth is the story of redemption. It's the story of redemption. Ruth is the mother of redemption. Now, technically, redemption is a release. If someone's a slave, a slave would get released, affected by a payment or a ransom. That's what a redemption was. The redeeming price would be a slave that wants freedom a price always had to get paid for the slave to go free. Redemption especially referred to slavery and to land. In Israel's day, the next worst thing to slavery would be to lose your land. Because now, just like many times in history, the only way you made it in life is if you got land. Even if you had a little bit of land. If you, just, if you could own property, you had a shot. Which is why God from the jump gave people property and said, now don't leave this property. Don't lose your property. But for Naomi and for her husband Elimelech, what they would have done was said, you know what? We are betting against the God of Yahweh being the God that's going to do this. When they went to Moab, they didn't just leave, they probably sold their land to someone else willing to take it because they were bailing on the God of Israel. They were going to bail. They have now lost their land, but now her bet has turned out empty, and she's going back empty-handed, and with all the regrets in the world, she's now coming with her tail between her legs, going back to Israel where everyone's going to look at her and remember the bad choices that she's made and the bad fortune that has come. And yet, it says in verse 19, the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, maybe because she looked a lot different. Is this Naomi? You ever seen somebody when life's been hard to them? Is this Naomi? The, the Naomi that used to smile is, is this Naomi? The Naomi that used to laugh, is this, is this her? Is this Naomi? She said to them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. 
I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? So Naomi returned, and here's the shining light. And Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Only the light of God's redemption can heal the wounds of our bitterness. Only the light of God's redemption can heal the wounds of our bitterness. And I believe that is why Ruth is written into this story. And I just want to describe the three wounds that I see being healed in this story. I I see the wound of the stranger and the wound of the widow and ultimately the wound of of an orphan. But whatever your wounds are today, I want to tell you that only the light of God's redemption can heal the wounds of your bitterness. And if you'll let him, he'll do it. So let's kind of break this down. There, there's, first of all, the redemption of God, the, the redemption of Jesus brings healing for the stranger's wound. Ruth is going to go back and she's going to go to this land of Israel where she does not belong. She's about to make her way back and the reality is she's not going to fit in. She probably knows little of the culture. She's probably learned the language. I'm sure she has an accent. If you've ever, any of you that are immigrants, you already know the difficulty that it takes to go to another place and to be in another place and you've got an accent. I can speak Spanish, but my Spanish is horrible. So every time I'm in a country, it's not as if people do not know you are not one of us. I think all of us in this room, all of us that are watching online right now, know what it feels like to be on the outside looking in. I was at a lunch this week with a bunch of pastors, and I'm one of the pastors, and I know a lot of the pastors, and yet I walked in, and there was still the feeling of, am I going to have a table to sit at? Am I going to have somebody to sit with me? Am I on the outside looking in? It's interesting to me how often I talk to people that say, oh, Mike, they walk in a room and they say, well, I feel like the outsider here, all of you guys fit in, which I often will be like, how interesting. I walked in the same room. I felt like I was an outsider and all of you guys were the insiders and I'm in the same room. Like, well, no, you're the pastor around here. You must fit in every room that you walk in if it's at the church or you've lived in Gainesville for a few decades. You, you must fit in here. And yet, isn't it interesting that it's not just you and it's not just me If I were to ask each one of you, have you had a time in the last month where you walked in a room where you felt as if you didn't quite fit or belong? I I bet you most of your hands would go up if you were honest. Because there's a wound inside of all of us that's, it's more ancient than you can know because when our first parents were in a garden where they belonged, they were in a garden called Eden where they fit. They were in a garden where they they had God, they had each other, they had shalom, they were right, they had peace, they were naked, they were unashamed, it was all good. And they got kicked out of this garden and and, and there was the inability to get back in and it is as if for thousands of years now, we've all been trying to get back to a place that we know we were meant to belong and we're just searching and I walk in rooms and I'm like oh I don't relate to you and you ever just have that feeling you're like oh I'm I'm too conservative for liberals and too liberals for conservative and I'm too white for this and black for that and extroverted for that and introspective for that and too and like every room you walk in you're like well all of them fit but I don't quite and there's something about us that do you not understand you and me were wired and made and created to fit somewhere and we don't feel like we fit anywhere until we get back to your God is my God When you get the right God, you fit. And what's amazing with Ruth is when she says, where you go, I will go, that's great. Your people, my people, that's great. But when she says, and your God, my God, may the Lord, Yahweh, King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of all things, may he deal with me. Little does she realize her lips are confessing and her knees are bowing and she's confessing the one who is Lord. And when you've got him, you've got everything you need to belong. Oh, it's, it's a stunning thought to me. 
how, it, it, you know, I was reading about the stranger wound this week from uh, an author named Kathy Lurzel that she talks about the, the stranger wound and how it, it makes you want to just get distracted. If you're a stranger, you're in another country or you're in another setting, you just, you just want to go through, you're just going to scroll through social media, distract yourself with, with um, stuff. And at worst, and oftentimes, it, the stranger wound ends up landing in addictions. It's, I, I need to... I need to distract myself or, or self-soothe or self-medicate, whether it's through food or alcohol or drugs or gambling or gaming or working, that I'll become an addict because I know I don't quite fit. I can't quite rest. And yet I need you to know that there is a redemption in Jesus Christ that Ruth points to, that the redemption of Jesus is the only thing that heals the stranger's wound. It's the only thing that does it. I, I was watching, I, I was flipping through, just scrolling through YouTube this week, and there was, a, there was a movie that's called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It was free. I was like, whoa, it's free with no ads. I was like, oh my gosh, just to have a no ad YouTube something. I'm like, I'll do it, you know? And I start watching this movie, and it's the, it's the testimony, it's the story of Lee Strobel, who was an investigative journalist in, in Chicago area, and uh, his wife and him, were just, they were smart, sharp people, but she ended up becoming a follower of Jesus, and, and he go, sets out to disprove that Jesus is the right way, right? That Jesus is real. And, and in his, in, in his journey, of course, leads him to find Jesus Christ. But at one point, he's walking into a church, and they have a sign up there on the church, and it says uh, the name of the church and the name of the preacher who is preaching as he walks in. And when I saw it, I kind of hit pause. I'm like, oh, man, this movie must have been created before they realized that the preacher whose name was on their He's been canceled now because this guy did a bunch of bad stuff. Like this pastor had, he had, he had been sexually immoral. He had, he had done things with different people. And, and it was like, oh my gosh. Like I was like, oh man, like no wonder this is free on YouTube right now. Maybe the movie's been canceled because we're in the moment of like, it's guilt by association. I'm like, oh man, I should, because I was being really moved. I mean, I'm not like a totally get moved to tears kind of person. I'm getting moved watching this movie. And I'm like, should I even be getting moved right now by a story that's been soiled with that preacher's name? And I started thinking about the story of Ruth. Because I don't think Naomi was a very faithful believer. And Elimelech was definitely not a very faithful believer. And Malon and Kilion were definitely not very faithful believers, and somehow they taught Ruth about the name of Yahweh, but they certainly did not. And by the way, we've got to be a little careful here because I, I get it, man. We need to walk the walk. We totally do. I just need you to know something. The redemption of God Almighty is so powerful that even when unworthy vessels dare to let the gospel of Jesus come off of their lips, there is power in the name of Jesus. Even when a preacher who's going to fall speaks and lets you know, for God so loved you that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in Jesus, I need you to know, it's not the worthiness of the vessel. It's the power of the juice in the cup that does it. And when someone is bringing you Jesus, there is power in the name of Jesus. I, I'm reading the story of Ruth. I'm like, wow, why would Ruth decide to make, just so we're clear here, guys, immigrants regularly leave other countries to come to the United States. Why? I'll tell you what all of you in our church have told me. I left my country because I knew I could get a better life in this country. Let's be super clear here. Ruth is not leaving Moab to get a better country. She's leaving Moab to get a worse country where she knows she could be violated, hurt, tortured, assaulted. And the question is, why would she? And I think the answer is, whatever little seed of the good news of the kingdom of God that she got from Malon, Kilion, Naomi, and Elimelech, 
imperfect as those vessels were, how great he is, I believe that that little seed was enough. I think it was like when one day when Peter would be with Jesus in John chapter 6 and he's preaching and feeding everyone. When everything's going good, they followed him. And when the food dried up, everybody bailed on him and, and everyone's leaving. And Peter's like, no, no, don't leave. No, don't leave. No, he was joking. Jesus, do another miracle. Come on. Lord, walk on water real quick. Do, do, a, do some special effects. And Jesus like, no, they're leaving. He's like, yeah. And then Jesus asks him, are you going to leave too? Do you remember what Peter said? He's like, Lord, where are we going to go? In other words, I actually have thought about this. <laughs> Is there anyone else that would be honest like me? I've thought about, man, forget this. Forget this. Being faithful to you, being sexually pure, taking persecution from people when I stand up. Forget that. I'm sure a lot of us have been like, forget. But then he says, Lord, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. I'm telling you, I think what happened is Ruth got, Ruthie got this much light, and she was like, your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. And with the little bit of light I've actually got, your God will be my God. There's somebody in here today, there's someone that's listening to me right now that today you need to say, God, you are my God. Earnestly will I seek you. There's some of you today that, that it's, it's like I was reading the story of a woman named, uh, what was her name? Was it, is it Rosalind? Oh, what is, what is this woman's name? I was reading the story this week of this professor from MIT who grew up wildly smart. Last name was Picard. Professor Picard from MIT. She grew up incredibly intelligent, and, and she had no place for God because of that. And so she was wildly you know, surprised at one point when she met a couple that was inviting her to church. And she was surprised because the couple was sharp and smart and the, the husband was a doctor and the wife was brilliant and, and they were inviting her to church. She's like, why would smart people be going to church? It made no sense. And so that Sunday rolled around and she made an excuse and did not go. She said, oh, I got a stomachache. Well, the next week they invited her again and, and uh, she didn't go again. She's like, it's kind of counterproductive when you're, you know, if someone that's a doctor's inviting you, eventually they're going to figure it out, you know. They finally said, you know what, never mind. You don't have to come to church to have a relationship with God. Why don't you read the Bible? So they gave her a Bible, and they told her to start reading in the book of Proverbs. She said, I picked up the Bible, and I thought it was going to be full of fables and fairy tales and all this kind of stuff. And much to my surprise, because he said, if it's the third day of the month, read Proverbs 3. Much to my surprise, when I read the book of Proverbs, every time I read it, it made me think. She's like, the Bible makes you think? <laughs> Any of you that have read it, you're like, you think? <laughs> she said, but then it got strange, because the more I read it, the more I felt like someone was talking to me. He's a redeemer. He's a redeemer. So she tried to put it aside. She kind of gets on with her life, and at some point, someone else was inviting her to, to church, and she was watching these believers, not perfect, but believers that were living this, and they had this common trajectory of pointing back to the redemption of Jesus Christ, and at one point, one of them invited her to church as well, and they, she, she finally said, okay, fine. You know, she, had, she, she went to church, because, and, and she was hearing this, and it was messing with her, so because the more she got messed with, the more she felt, and she used the word love, it was as if she could feel feel love. And she's like, oh, she did not want to believe. She's like, okay, forget this. I need to just be fair then. I'm going to go study Buddhism, Hinduism. She studied all the other religions and all the other stuff. And, and she could not find the escape from the strangely strong woo that she was getting from the Bible. And someone invited her to church and there was a, a pastor that got up and said, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? And she thought to herself, huh, is Jesus willing to, like, I'm the captain of my ship. Is, is Jesus willing to be the captain of my ship, of my life? And she said, I decided to do Pascal's wager, if you know what that is. She said, you know what, I got nothing to lose. I'm going to give this a try. And this is what she prayed. I wrote it down word for word. She said, I was in, I, I one day decided, I said these words out loud, and I dare one of you to say them today. Jesus Christ, I ask you, to be the Lord of my life. Jesus Christ, I ask you to be the Lord of my life. And then this brilliant woman 
She said, all of a sudden, it was like the world changed dramatically. It was like I went from flat and black and white to 3D in full color. She said, I thought following Jesus or becoming religious would, would make me less intelligent or have less questions. She said, I actually became more analytical. I got more questions when I started following Jesus. And I found out he's not afraid of my questions. And she said, now I've been following him now for years. And today she's a professor at MIT. She's surrounded by incredible colleagues including a group of them that are, that are helping her come up with inventions. She came up with an invention that helps um, people struggling with epilepsy, helps to serve them. She says, I don't have adequate ex- uh, answers to explain all the suffering in the world. I don't have all the answers. I do know who the Redeemer is. And she says, I once thought I was too smart to believe in God, but now I know I was an arrogant fool who snubbed the greatest mind in the cosmos. The author of all science, mathematics, art, and everything else there is to know. And today, I walk humbly, having received the most undeserved grace through Messiah Jesus. See, there's, there's healing for the stranger's wound. Ruth, she just believes and she gets in. But there's also healing for the widow's wound. When we go to chapter 2, we find that Ruth and Naomi have, have gone to this land and and we find that there's a, a healing that, that even though you go to heaven when you die, how many of you know you still need to live while you're on this earth? I mean, there's still a life to live, right? And, and so they go into the fields, and Naomi's like, listen, you got, got, let, let's go there and go out in the fields, and, and you're going to have to beg. And so Naomi's probably too old to do so, so Ruth is going to go out, and she's going to be going for scraps in the fields. They're probably living in some kind of a shelter-like place. She's going to go beg for the scraps that fall to the side when the people are out there bringing the barley harvest. And so at least for a few months, she would have some food. And so she goes out, and what we find in chapter 2, verse maybe 4-ish, it says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young men who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Now I want to be careful because I've heard this preached a lot like a gawking guy sitting on the wall in high school saying, mm, whose young woman is this? I, I, I just want to get clear That is not what's going on. There would be nothing in this older man named Boaz that sees this pagan-worshipping Gentile, as far as he knows, Ruth, walking by. What he's not doing is trying to find a girl to pick up on. What he's about to do is to recognize this is someone probably wearing widow's clothes. She's clearly an outsider. And that means in the culture that we live in, like the culture throughout all of time, when people that have no power get around people that have power, people with power take advantage of those without. He is thinking of this woman. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge, whose young woman and the servant who was in charge answered and said, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather in the sheaves of the reapers. And she came and she's continued from early morning until now. In other words, Ruth is providing for her mother-in-law. I just want to get real clear. Ruth is begging for scraps in a field right now. And by all accounts and by all the evidence, it may look like she's forgotten. Little does Ruth know, unbeknownst to her, there are conversations about her that have everything to do about her that she knows not of. There are people with power in high places that are scheming the provision and prosperity of Ruth, and she doesn't even know it. Mike, what are you saying? There are some of you listening to me right now, and you've got that widow's wound. Maybe you've lost a lot. Maybe you've lost so much. Maybe you've got your hopes up, and they've been dashed. Maybe you dreamt of a great marriage, or you dreamt of a great childhood, or you dreamt of many different things, and they've all turned, and there's that widow's wound of grief and loss, and am I going to be okay? And I just need you to know that even when you do not see, and even when you do not hear the things being spoken about you, do you understand that there is someone in high places who speaks? words over you that you don't even know about. Mike, what's your proof on that? He shall give his angels charge over you. What is Boaz doing? He's charging his young women, his young men concerning Ruth. Do you know what your God in heaven does? He gives charge over angels over your life to protect you and to guard you in all of your ways. I love Jesus for this. I love the fact that you do not have to feel the conversations. You don't have to hear. I don't care who's gossiped about you. Let me tell you who's providing for you. God. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And if God be for you, who in the world could be against you? 
The healing for the widow's wound is the recognition and the knowledge of the redeeming provision of the Lord. I want you to notice, she starts with, she gets these scraps, and she would take these scraps and take this food, and she would go home and feed her mother-in-law. God is blessing her to be a blessing. I need to tell some of you, I don't know what little blessings you have, but God has blessed you to be a blessing. God has provided for you to provide for other people. I don't know what you've got, but whatever you've got, whatever you've got use it in the name of Jesus. Do you have a car? Give people rides. Do you have a scooter? Put them on the back. Do you have a bike? Put them on the handlebars. Do you have good looks? I'm serious. Use your looks for Jesus. Do you have a good personality? Use your personality to serve other people. Whatever it is that God has. Do you have an education? Steward your education. For Ruth is being blessed, but she's taking those blessings, and she's going and blessing Naomi. When David Graham was here, he told us the story of Project Rescue where they were feeding just all these desperately hungry children in India. And, and this one kid was asking for, when they gave him all the food, they're like, hey, that's as much as we could give you. He begged for a little bit more. And they're like, it's, they gave him a little bit more. And, and he took the food. And, and when he left, they, they kind of followed him to see what this kid was doing. And he was taking the food that they gave him. And in a little pipe in the sewer, there were two younger kids. The kid was like seven or eight years old, and there was two younger children. Their parents had died. They were orphaned. And he was taking the food, and he was feeding his two siblings with all of the food. Boaz has been caught by Ruth's glory, not because she's wearing clothes that are showing her curves, it's because he's heard of a woman that's going back to the trash heap of her life and taking the blessings with which she's been blessed and she's sharing them with a woman that has nothing to gain. This woman has nothing to gain from Naomi and, and yet she's come. This woman, the, just so we're clear, the hero of this story is not Boaz. It's Ruth. Boaz is watching a woman that's, that's but, but let me just give you the cool part of the story because she's begging for scraps, but there's some Ruths right now. Some of you are begging for scraps even where you're sitting. Let me, let me give you some good news, Ruth. There are some of you that are begging for scraps in fields that little do you know, those are the fields that one day you're destined to own. Spoiler alert. Ruth is going to marry the guy that owns the whole field. Just so we're clear, do you think the gospel is that God's going to give you enough to keep you from starving? This is the gospel. You were starving, he gave you scraps. He gave you scraps, he starts giving you bundles, Ruth. He gives you bundles, he starts giving you more than you know what to do with. And pretty soon, you're going to end up owning the whole field. You want to know how this goes? You are an enemy of God. You are an enemy of, un of, of, of righteousness. What did God do? Those who were his enemies, Jesus came and the us who were the objects of wrath and the enemies of God, he has made us to go from debt to having no debt. He wiped out our debt. He gave us his mercy. He wiped us clean. But he doesn't stop there. Then he makes us his very own children, and then he seats us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and makes us co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Why is Ruth in the Bible? Why is she in the genealogy? This is the gospel of Jesus. This is like the, the shadow. It's like, oh my gosh, at every turn, you swear you're looking at Ruth's shadow, and Ruth is casting a shadow that points to Jesus. What in the world? Who is this woman? There's healing for the widow's wound. I, I need you to know that, that the God we serve is Jireh. He's the God who provides. And some of you have been wondering if, if you, wondering if, if we're going to be all right, wondering if it's going to be okay, wondering. And I just need you to know if Jesus is your Lord, wonder no more. My God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He can do exceeding abundantly above what you can ask or think or imagine. Trust him, believe him, and hang on to him. Don't go to Moab. To, don't go, there's nothing in Moab for you. I don't know who I'm supposed to tell this to right now. There's nothing in Moab for you. Stay in the kingdom. Stand where you are. St having done all to stand. Stand there for. Having girded your waist with truth and your, your breast with the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and the shield of faith. There's healing for the stranger's wound. There's healing for the widow's wound. And finally, there's healing for the orphan's wound. We humans are uniquely designed to need parenting. 
Many animals are born very able to make it on their own. Humans are uniquely made in need of a lot of parenting. Let me just be clear. You are very high maintenance. (laughs) At least those first couple years, you're very high maintenance. And the reality is all of us in this room have some father wounds. The land of Israel was the inheritance. God gave his people an inheritance. A orphan lacks the inheritance. Orphan wounds know that others have some things that are given to them, provided for them, they're covered. The orphan wound is a wound that secretly deep down feels like whatever I'm going to get, I'm going to have to do it all on my own. I'm fending for myself. I'm on my own here. There is scarcity, you know, aka scar city. There is a scarcity in my life. That is where I live. That is what I have. I'm not going to be okay. God gave land to Israel because they knew, just hold on to your land, and even if you blew it, you'll, you'll, you, there's going to be another season. You're still going to have a shot. Just don't sell the land. Naomi had sold the land. These are now orphans because the inheritance they would have had has been forsaken. Don't sell your land. Esau, don't sell your birthright for a bowl of porridge. Christians, don't sell your, and there's some of us, there's many of us that are listening to me now, and you know the pain of knowing how much you've lost by the choices that you made. And the beauty of the story of Ruth is that through the shining light of this woman's redemptive love, even people that gave up the inheritance of their virginity, or they gave up the inheritance of their faithfulness, or they gave up the inheritance that should have been. I I just need you to know, Naomi didn't realize it, but she needed a redeemer. And the redeemer God sent was a Moabite named Ruth. And you need a redeemer that can sweep into your life and let you know that you'll never have to be alone, and there is no lack of for you. When we come to Israel, just so we're clear, everybody got these, this land. Naomi has bailed on it. What God did, though, is God made an escape hatch called, it was a law, the law of the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer was somebody that was established that if you lost your land, there'd be a redeemer, someone that was in your line, the closest person that was in, related to you, your kin, kinsman redeemer, if they were willing and able and had the skills to pay the bills, if they were generous enough in position, they needed the position and the generosity, and if they were, they were allowed to come in and redeem the land that you lost because they could go over and say to the person that bought the land, maybe for even for a good price, they would come to them and say, hey, you know the law. I'm asking to, I'm going to pay the price to redeem this back for Naomi. You must sell. And the law was you had to sell it. Well, they knew this. And so Naomi sends Ruth to talk to Boaz because they're actually in the same family, fortunately. And so she's like, hey, and and I I won't give you the whole story. You could go read it in chapter three if you want. It's a little weird. She goes at like midnight and kind of starts playing with his feet or something like that. And it's a weird, you know, while he's sleeping and, you know, he gets up, whoa, who are you? And basically Ruth gets down and she says, will you marry me is essentially what she says. Just so we're clear, if you're thinking the Bible's just full of all traditional, typical, predictable stories, you clearly haven't read the Bible. I also just want to say a lot of the young ladies in our church will oftentimes tell me, Pastor Mike, can, can you please uh, preach to tell all the young men in our church how to be a Boaz? I'm waiting for some guy to ask me out. I'm like, well, if you want that story, Ruth technically asked him out. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a very strange, courageous, you know, upside down kind of story. And Boaz ends up saying, for me to, to, me, for me to redeem you, I'm going to have to marry you. And for me to redeem Naomi, I've got to marry you and take you because of the line. And I can do it. But there's a kinsman redeemer that's closer than me. If he, he gets the first rights to do so. So the next chapter, chapter 4, he goes out into the court and he finds the kinsman redeemer that's closer. And he says, hey, Naomi's lost her land. Will you redeem it? To which the guy's like, yeah, man, sweet. Let's do it. I'm going to increase. That'll be good for me. I'm going to do it. He says, oh, when he, after he says yes, then Boaz says, oh, by the way, if you take the land, you also have to take Ruth, the Moabite. To which then he changes his mind and says, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. For, for me to redeem Naomi, it's, it's going to cost me that much? No, 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 uh, come to think of it, not a good time, not going to do it. And then Boaz steps up and says, I will. Now, the question I at first have is why would Boaz say yes when it clearly makes no fiduciary or rational sense to redeem this family? To which I've always heard it kind of, well, they're just in love. She was hot. He wouldn't know. She's wearing clothing. You wouldn't even know what she looks like underneath, probably, okay? She, he's, he's not, 
why would, I'm going to give you my theory. My theory is if you read the line that we've got in the genealogy, does anyone know who Boaz's mother was? Rahab. Brother got raised by a half-breed prostitute that married into the family of Israel, becomes a part of the tribe of Judah. And those that have been forgiven much, they love much. Why would a Boaz be willing to take on some nobody, pagan, idolatrous, Gentile from Moab? Because his mama was a nobody from Jericho that knows what it's like to be a stranger and a widow and an orphan. But the God of Israel has been very good to Boaz, and here he has now blessed and prospered. He's looking at this woman, and, and, and he goes, and, and why would he? And, and I got to tell you, I, I do think that's part of it, his, his mother. And, and, and I do just want to get real clear here, friends. Part of the application of this message is, do you see, do you see strangers? Welcome them in. Do you see immigrants? Welcome them in. Do you see people that don't fit? Welcome them in. Welcome them to your house. Welcome them into your car. Welcome them in. Do you see widows? Share your stuff. But friends, at the end of the day, we've got to partner with God in bringing orphans into an inheritance. On December 19th, we're going to have a lot of the gospel going out. If you know someone that doesn't know Jesus, bring them on December 19th. Bring them on that day. Why would Boaz? I'll tell you what I think happens. The gospel of redemption is being witnessed by Boaz in the life of Ruth. Why does he say yes to Ruth? I believe what happens is when he watches Ruth, he sees the love of Ruth for Naomi and his heart melts. When I'm reading this story, it says, so Boaz took Ruth, verse 13, she became his wife. He went into her. The Lord gave conception. She bore a son. The woman, the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who hasn't left. They said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who hasn't left you this day without a redeemer. And it's very unclear. Which redeemer are you talking about here? And may his name be renowned in Israel. He will be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, comma, for your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you, is more to you. And then she dropped, they dropped the number perfection. Then seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. In other words, she started producing milk. I, I hope you're watching the scene right now. The women are coming to her and saying, in a world that always says, ah, oh, women are nothing, you know, men are better than women, all this kind of stuff. What, what the gospel is showing here is, Naomi, one Ruth is better than seven men. Better is this one daughter-in-law who loves you. I'm telling you, this is what happened. Boaz is living his life, and he gets confronted with a woman that has everything to lose and nothing to gain, and has said to her mother-in-law, because of the love of your God, I now love you. And because of how I love you, I'm sa Ruth says to Naomi, I will give my life away so you can get your life back. I'm going to take your poverty so you can have riches. I'm going to take your shame on me. I'm going to take your mistakes on me. I'm going to take all of the stuff that belongs to you, and I'm going to put it on me. Ruth so loved Naomi that she gave her one and only life. And she's pointing to the God who so loved us that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life and they will be redeemed. Boaz is the official redeemer, but the real redeemer of this story is Ruth. And here's a girl that everything in her life up until now, all the evidence is you're cursed. Your husband dies, you've got nothing, you're a foreigner. And yet by the end of this story, this struggling, straggling peasant is going to be so exalted that literally old ladies will get around her and start producing life again. Can you imagine what's going to happen to you when you let Redeemer Jesus work his redemption in you?